Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Vertical Space, a podcast at the intersection of technology and flight. We are your hosts, Jim Barry and Luka Tomjanovic, and here we look at the most important forces shaping the market of advanced air mobility, with a particular focus on why and how they matter to those building a business in this very exciting and growing industry. A city like Sao Paulo in Brazil, it could take you up to three hours to get to the airport. With these type of vehicles, you'll be able to get from any location within the city center of Sao Paulo in 20 minutes. And, and you look at other cities, Mexico City, Seoul, New York, Bangkok, LA, Tokyo, uh, where you have the ground transportation is so saturated. Uh, the distances are long. Your time to travel to the airport is many, many hours. That will be eliminated. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome back to the Vertical Space Podcast. We are delighted with your response and your support. So thanks. Your suggestions for new guests, for new topics. Listen, we're trying to get everybody on the air. We have a great list of guests lined up. So today's guest is Peter Serta. IATA's Regional Vice President of the Americas. Peter provides a global perspective on a range of topics, including the important role of commercial aviation and how it's recovering today, stronger in some areas more than others, and how returning to 2019 performance isn't good enough. The drive to sustainability and commercial aviation sustainability goals is also discussed. Peter provides the perspective on advanced air mobility, its challenges, and the value it may provide to the world's travelers, including providing service to areas not served today, while maintaining today's high safety standards. For our entrepreneurs, Peter discusses the importance of tech in achieving commercial aviation's goals, what's worked, and what's needed for the future. This episode of the Vertical Space Podcast is brought to you by UAvionics. UAvionics is the leader in low-size, weight, and power certified avionics for manned, unmanned, and advanced air mobility aircraft. Let UAvionics help you achieve your goals, whether that be type certification, airspace access, or beyond visual line-of-sight operations. UAvionics has certified and certifiable communications, navigation, and surveillance avionics for your aircraft. So head over to uavionics.com or Google it to see how you can start flying safer and move your platform forward into shared airspace. Peter Serta is the International Air Transport Association's Regional Vice President of the Americas. Globally, IATA represents some 290 airlines or 82% of the total air traffic, supporting many areas of aviation activity and helping to formulate industry policy on critical aviation issues. Based in Miami, Peter oversees 35 countries and 48 member airlines across North America and South America and the Caribbean, driving IATA's global standards and international perspective to deliver maximum value to the safe, sustainable, and profitable development of aviation across the region. He advocates for government authorities, safety regulators, airports, and industry stakeholders to create a common approach to utilize aviation as an engine for economic growth and social development, which drives nearly $1 trillion in GDP and generates 14.5 million jobs in the Americas region. Peter is also IATA's major shareholder for global network services in the United States and a member of the executive boards of Columbia's Air Transport Association and Mexico's National Chamber of Air Transport. Peter possesses a wealth of industry experience acquired over 30 years in aviation. He has worked in various functions for IATA and started his aviation career with Iberia Airlines prior to joining IATA in 1996. Fluent in English and Spanish, Peter was born in Spain and received his master's degree in aeronautics and aviation management from Embry-Riddle University in the United States. Peter, welcome to the show. Jim, thank you very much. And Luca, it's great to be with you today. Welcome, Peter. 
we are really looking forward to this. We've heard you speak at many times in many conferences, and we're going to ask you the first question that we generally ask all guests. Is there something that very few in the industry agree with you on? Well, one of the things that uh, I, I guess I could be challenged somewhat uh, you know, with this crisis that we're still going through with COVID and, and how it's impacted and hit the airline industry. You know, one of the things that the industry uses as a baseline to return to normal is 2019. It seems like everyone wants to base recovery with 2019. And the one thing I'm saying uh, to governments and to stakeholders and to suppliers and even to our own membership, going back to 2019 is simply not good enough. Uh, it may be good for the U.S. carriers or the North American carriers that in 2019 earned about $17 billion worth of profits, the Europeans. But when you look at emerging markets uh, like the Middle East, Latin America, or Africa, 2019 was actually a bad year. Actually, for most of those regions, it's been a bad year since about around 2017, where most of the airlines around the world made some money. So 2019 is really a very small number of airlines that were making 19. And what I've been uh, making money, and what I've been saying is, you know, we have to do better. And COVID and this crisis during the last two years should be a wake-up call to the entire industry that we cannot continue to do things like we did in the past. So I think that's probably one of the... Uh, areas of differences that I think with some of the colleagues around uh, the industry uh, of today. So speaking of uh, recovery from COVID, where's the industry now? Well, we are in, in recovery mode and, and it depends where you're, you're, you're based out of Luca. You know, in, if you look at the Americas, you know, we're pretty much open for business uh, all the way from Canada through the U S down to Latin America. Obviously there's some uh, restrictions still in play, but you know, airlines are, are, are recovering and they're recovering very strongly. You look at a, a market like the U.S., you know, domestically, the U.S. is booming. Uh, you go down to Mexico, uh, they're over 110 percent from what it was in 2019, both on the domestic and on the international. They're, they're pretty much there. Is that Columbia right? And Excellent. so on. But when you look at other regions uh, like Asia Pacific, many of the countries are still in lockdown. Singapore, uh, Indonesia. Australia just announced that it's reopening. So they're, they're several months behind uh, many parts of the world that have already opened. Europe is, is in a much better case also. They're, they're also open and, and removing a lot of the, the barriers. So we, we, it's very different depending where you're located, where the restrictions, where the quarantine measures are in play. And, uh, and it's also going to be dependent, you know, how quickly can the industry restart in these markets in terms of you know, what the financials will look at the end of the year. Actually, the only region that is forecasted to actually make money by the end of 2022 is going to be um, North American carriers. And they're expected to earn about $9.9 billion. The rest of the regions, regionally based airlines, are expected to be still in the red next year. So there is still a lot of work uh, to be done. Uh, the expectations, international recovery won't take place before 20, end of 2023, 2024. Domestic is expected to come back sometime between the end of this year and mid of 2023. What will return first is the, the leisure travel. We're, we're going to see strong recovery in that side. Business will take some time longer. Mm -hmm. And have you seen or how have you seen innovators using technology to address some of these 
you know, gaps in, in traditional aviation? People would think that, you know, when there is a crisis, everyone is buckling down and, um, you know, trying to save money and, and not investing, which is in, in most cases what the industry has done. They're trying to become more efficient. But this crisis has, re, has forced the industry to innovate, to implement technology quicker than they had expected. Just in the way we, we manage passenger flows, cleaning airplanes, maintaining airplanes, uh, investing into some of the technology in terms of, of the apps, uh, the applications. Uh, the crisis has forced airlines to advance some of these plans that would have probably been in, in the books some, some two or three years down the line. We've had to implement quicker. From a sustainability standpoint, there's a lot of pressure, political pressure, industry pressure to do more. And, and also airlines are also uh, having to take more aggressive steps to address the environmental issues. So the crisis has really actually forced us to implement quicker than we had anticipated, but this is going to be ultimately better for the industry and for the traveling public. Peter, on the topic of sustainability, there was a lot of pressure before COVID. It seems like there's been advancements in the last couple of years. Is it real? Are people appealing to only their investors? Or is this something that's a a long-term change in the industry? I think it's, a uh, Jim, a, a, a change for the industry, a permanent change. It w- we will not be able to go back. And the commitments to sustainability are going to have to be met. And we're beginning to see this all across the world. In France, in Europe, in Sweden, there was a major campaign of shaming passengers traveling to sun destinations uh, for vacation because of the sustainability issue. That has required IATA, uh, on behalf of our members, at our last annual general meeting, which took place in Boston in, in October, that we, we implement a new target for the industry, and that's achieving the net zero carbon emissions for our industry operations by 2050. And, and that's with the objective of meeting the Paris Agreement. So as an industry, we have now uh, made changes to our targets, and, and you see many of the airlines take very aggressive stance on the environmental uh, side. And, and this obviously is going to have huge implications, positive implications on how we implement the uh, vertical takeoff and, and landing vehicles. They're going to play a very important role if we are to achieve our 2050 goals. What parts of the world are taking this more seriously and how? And then second, when you achieve your goal, what technologies do you feel will have the greatest contribution to achieving the goal? Right now, at this point, uh, obviously, Europe is the front runner in terms of uh, regulatory regimes, uh, payment schemes or financial schemes, mandates that's been uh, implemented throughout the European community. So they're obviously taking the leadership role. But we're beginning to see the U.S. take a very strong stance on the environment. Uh, We're seeing big countries around the world, Australia. we're We're seeing Canada, Brazil. They're all going to take strong stances. The tr- the challenge that we're going to have with managing the sustainability uh, requirements and goals is the harmonization standpoint. Is the these countries around the world going to do uh, a harmonized approach or is it going to be done individual uh, approach, their own approach? And that will be a challenge for the industry. Where are we going to see greatest changes in, our in-, in-, in the industry? It's from the manufacturer standpoint. The engine manufacturers are going to have to play a very big role 
in making efficient engines that will help in the um, meeting the environmental goals that have been uh, laid out. So the engine manufacturers, the aircraft manufacturers will all play a fundamental role in our success towards the future. There's a lot of effort in decarbonizing aviation, to your point, both near term and long term. And when we look at some of these activities, everybody will tell you that this is not just a collaboration within the industry, but many times this is a collaboration across multiple industries, especially if you're thinking about renewables and hydrogen. And in addition, aviation is a global effort. So to your point about harmonizing, uh, you can't really implement any meaningful change unless everybody is on board with it. So how does that complicate executing on some of these planes? And how reasonable is it to expect that the entire world will be able to get on a single frequency? Well, it's a big challenge. And one of the biggest challenges, there's no way we will be able to get to the goal unless we have the manufacturers, the engines, folks on board, no doubt. But unless we have government and, and we have private investors and infrastructure on the uh, SAF, on the sustainable aviation fuels, that will be the component that will, uh, will substitute the fuel side we just won't make the target. And what happens in, in this realm is you look at a region like Latin America, there is no infrastructure in place today for SAF. And there's no regulatory incentive from governments for investment in that area. Sustainable Please. aviation fuels, and mm -hmm. these are, are the fuels that will are made from different biofuels that will substitute the traditional fuel that we use, which is the um, gas oil, the jet A1 fuels which are so contaminating to, to the environment. So in order for us to have that SAF, we need governments to incentivize, to put the right regulatory policies in place, and then for investment to take place. We're seeing that in the US. We, we already see uh, these flights taking place in the United States with airlines like, such as United, Alaska, JetBlue, American. They've all done demonstration flights. We've seen the state of California invest in the infrastructure, but we need this you know, holistic approach to take place all around the world. And, and in developing regions, that's a huge challenge. So you may have an airline that invests with the airplane, with the type of fuel. Uh, they may be able to depart using SAF fuel, but when they reach their destination at an international point of arrival in Africa, Middle East, Latin America, and you don't have that infrastructure in place, then you're not, it's going to be a challenge to meet the, the global target. So that's one of the areas where, from an IATA standpoint, we're advocating governments all around the world right. on the importance right. of infrastructure development and investment. Is there precedent examples in, uh, in aviation history that had a similar global initiative getting behind uh, a certain execution? The industry obviously had, from an industry standpoint, we've had many initiatives that you've had the whole... Uh, industry working from an airline standpoint, uh, even from a regulatory standpoint, certification of airplanes, uh, implementation of ATM technology. But the SAF, the environmental issue, goes beyond aviation uh, because here you need governments to play an important role, uh, not only from the regulatory, but also from the infrastructure and from the investment side. You need the private sector to, to come into, uh, into the commitment to help develop uh, this infrastructure, this vi uh, viable pipeline of, of of support to to the industry. So this is probably the one initiative that I can say goes outside their industry 
that requires a significant contribution mm -hmm. from government and from the private uh, sector as well. Peter, for you to achieve your your uh, goals, sustainability goals, many have said that SAF is the huge is the largest part of achieving those goals. Is that be the case? Yeah, the SAF component is sixty five percent of yeah. the uh, of the equation to get to the year twenty fifty uh, net zero target. New technologies uh, like electrical and hydrogen will be thirteen percent, and and then the infrastructure, which pl plays a very important role is about 3%. And that's next gen, uh, Cesar, single European skies, and the other mm -hmm. initiatives that are taking place around the world. And that obviously is a very important uh, component. Actually, the infrastructure and the operational efficiency is probably the low hanging fruit, Jim. Mm -hmm. And you all well know from your time uh, in your previous life at Passor, how important the efficiencies were, you know, and not only in the air, but also in, in the ground. Uh, so that's the area we have to take advantage. Unfortunately, uh, we've had some success with next gen, but not at the level we had expected. When you look at Europe, we've been talking about single European skies and CESAR for 15, 20 years, and mm -hmm. we're nowhere near where we should be. And then you have the developing regions around the world where technology and infrastructure has always been a challenge, and we're trying to bring those uh, regions up to speed. So uh, it's a huge hurdle to overcome, but it is a low-hanging fruit before we get to, to the sustainable aviation fuels, which will be the most important component, but mm -hmm. that will take time as well. When you heard that we will, we're gonna talk about advanced air mobility and we'll include drones in that and UAM and the like, what was the first thing that came to your mind? And how does it help achieve some of the goals that aviation has to achieve and sustainability as well? The first thing I, I thought about, Jimmy, I'll be very honest, I said, this is cool. <laughs> It is cool stuff. I mean, you know, you look at his aviation has a very rich history, a very interesting history. And, and there have been times along our young history, because aviation is not that old, and where there have been moments it, that have really marked the industry, have been cha game changers, not only from the efficiency and safety component side, but also the passenger experience. You, know, you talk about when we, we shifted from the... Uh, piston-powered propellers to the jet era. You know, that was a game changer. That enhanced our connectivity all around the world. That permitted more passengers, more people to travel than ever before. You know, after that, you know, from an industry, solely industry standpoint, it was very common. You know, people would travel with a ticket, a paper ticket. And that was eliminated. And people, you know, you think, is that really important? That was a game changer. That's when we brought technology innovation back office technology and we removed the paper from the process, but we were able still to create the transactions needed. People were able to travel with, uh, with ease, with comfort, with security. And now we're looking at, you know, just looking at the technology that airplane manufacturers are, are, are bringing into play. You, know, you have aircraft that are safer, more efficient, and that are able to fly longer segments than ever before. No one would think 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that an aircraft could fly 18, 19 hours. And that is becoming a very common part of our day-to-day -day operations. Nor did you think the single-aisle airplanes like the Max or the Neos would be able to do transatlantic crossings or fly eight or nine hours. And that is becoming a reality. And that's going to permit the industry to grow outside the hub operations. You won't have to do London Heathrow to JFK to get to Raleigh. 
because you may be able to do a Raleigh London Heathrow direct with a Neo or a Mac because it has the range now. But it's a market that it's somewhat constrained because you can't fill it up with a 777 or a 350. And now you talk about the EV tolls, and that is a totally game-changing reality. It's not even an experiment or it's not even a desire or a vision. It's a reality. It will come. It is happening. And that's going to be a game changer for our industry. It's going to change it in many different ways. It's going to be help serve cities and, and communities that are not served today. It's going to help airlines meet their environmental responsibilities. It's going to bring a better way of life for, for communities in, in jungles or in in areas that you have no sort of communication. Uh, so it is, to me, very cool. Uh, it's a long journey. It's a very long journey. It's a challenging journey that we have ahead of us. But when you look at the commitments of the industry just over the last couple of months, it, it really is quite encouraging what's going to come our way. You look at United purchasing 200 aircraft, American. Uh, you go into Latin America, you see Azul or Gold. In Asia, you have JAL, Lufthansa. So this is not a North American undertaking. This is a global initiative by many airlines that are seeing this as a huge opportunity to expand their connectivity, get better service, meet their environmental responsibilities, and make air travel even more accessible to more walks of life. So how is IATA preparing for advanced air mobility? Do you think that there will be need for another association or will IATA increase its scope to include these? Well, I, I think, you know, this is a discussion we've even had with the drones. You know, drones become a very important component and many of our member airlines are going into the drone business as our airlines uh, members are going into the uh, VTOL uh, business. So we're going to play a big role. And, you know, the most important role that IATA and uh, organizations like ICAO have to play is making sure that safety continues to be the number one priority because that is the essence of our success as an industry. Uh, without safety, we have no industry. So we, we, from our standpoint, safety is going to be very important. And that plays into the regulatory side, the government regulations, the certification, the oversight, even the training is going to be a, an important component. And that is one challenge that um, you know, we have to address very, very quickly, uh, Jim, because you, know, you, you look at many of these manufacturers and airlines, and they're looking at implementing you know, these, this technology within the next couple of years, 2023, 24, 25. That doesn't give us a long time. Our FAA and EASA have talked about certification around that time frame, 2023, 2024. And that's two years from now. And when you look at the number of manufacturers, you know, and my, my count has been uh, about 150 manufacturers at this moment. Imagine how much the FAA and EASA have to do. But at the same time, you're going to have the Chinese, the Canadians, the Australians, the Brazilians. They're all going to play a role. The unfortunate happenings of the MAX is a clear indication that in today's environment, it's not solely EASA or the FAA that play an important role. All these other institutions, these other regulators are also playing a very big role in the certification of aircraft insurance of safety. So this, from our standpoint, 
it's not going to be a blanket approach where if FAA and EASA say it's good to go, we're going, it's going to have to be a collaborative approach all across the world. What Because concerns more, you the most when it comes to the uh, approach to safety? The lack of proper regulations. That's what concerns me. You know, we can have Europe, Brazil, uh, US, you know, do the right things, do go through the right processes. What worries me is when we have different countries that may not go through the right processes because they don't have the, the resources, the financial, the technical expertise, and they fall in the trap that they have to implement quickly because the rest of the world is doing it. And they just begin to put procedures in play that may not be very viable. And that's when the level of safety is, is at risk. And to me, that's the greatest risk there is because an accident somewhere around the world has global implications. And we saw what happened with the MAX, with the accidents that occurred all around the world, you know, with the grounding of the airplane for many, many months, and no one was flying it. Uh, so to me, global harmonization, global implementation, global coordination and alignment is going to be fundamentally important. And IATA will be the coordinator and the leader of that effort. We will certainly be playing an important role because, and again, you know, you look at these type of vehicles or drones, you know, they're going to be operating under very constrained conditions in very saturated airspaces around the world. You look at the New York area. You know, it's already constrained as it is today. Imagine now drones and, and the VTOLs playing a part of it because a large percentage of these uh, air vehicles are going to be going to the airport. How's the infrastructure going to be? Where are they going to be landing? How's ATC going to manage it? How are we going to divide the airspace? That's a very challenging environment in, in a place like New York City where you already have LaGuardia, Kennedy, Newark, Teterboro, and all the outlying uh, HPN, yeah, absolutely. And now well, you have, you know, you have one of these EV tolls that's taking off from, you know, uh, the west end of Manhattan, flying across the river and coming into JFK, and, and they're crossing multiple ATC uh, areas coming into the JFK airport. So it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So imagine now you go into the international arena. You go into other countries where you don't have an infrastructure. You don't have a regulator of the FAA caliber. That's what concerns us. Mm -hmm. How do you think that the aviation value chains will be reshuffled with advanced air mobility? Well, it's going to be interesting. You know, right now, you know, you, you look at just from the manufacturing standpoint, 150 manufacturers, that's quite impressive. When you look at aircraft manufacturers for our industry from a you know commercial standpoint, you're basically talking about four manufacturers, Airbus, Boeing, Embraer, Bombardier. So you're not talking about two, it's not a huge manufacturing sector that it's competing against each other. And, and here you have 150. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how that sets up uh, and what the final outcome will be, you know, many, many, many years down the line. But right now, what is impressive, you begin to see it and you look at United American, Azul, JAL, and some of these airlines that have invested in, in these companies. The one thing that strikes you is There's not one airline that, or a couple of airlines that is investing in one particular uh, company. They're all investing in different companies. So that's going to be very, very interesting. The value chain uh, item will also be very interesting. To me, what's very interesting, Luca, is going to be the infrastructure side. How is that going to play out? You know, how will these landing facilities uh, be managed? By whom? Uh, I think there's huge opportunities in that side because 
safety infrastructure level of service for passengers is going to play uh, an important component. There's a lot of unknowns at this time, and it's going to only uh, begin to give us a bit of more understanding as we progress, as we become more knowledgeable. It's going to be, I, I believe, some testing and trials right. uh, yeah. before we really get a good grasp on who the key players will be, how the infrastructure, how the services will be put into place. When you interact with the airline executives, what are they excited or concerned about mostly? Well, I, I mentioned, I we mentioned safety a little bit and uncertainty around the operations themselves, but is there something that really stands out either uh, enthusiastically in support or concerned? Well, I think in, in terms of the excitement, it, it's going to be the offerings that they're going to be able to give passengers. It, you, when you look at a city like Sao Paulo in Brazil, uh, it could take you up to three hours to get to the airport. With these type of vehicles, you'll be able to get from any location within the city center of Sao Paulo in 20 minutes. And, and you look at other cities, Mexico City, Seoul, New York, Bangkok, LA, Tokyo, uh, where you have ground transportation is so saturated. Uh, the distances are long. Your, your time to travel to the airport is many, many hours. That will be eliminated. So that's one component of it. The other component is touching communities that are, are underserved or not served at all today. Uh, you look at Brazil, uh, again, huge country. There are communities that are not being served because there is no way to put the right infrastructure in play. And, helicopters, and helicopters were not a satisfactory uh, alternative. Well, Hel helicopters are a good option when you're in, in, in the city center, but they are not a good option when you're, you're talking outside the, uh, outside the big concentrated cities. And that's a good point, uh, Jim. You look at Brazil. Actually, Brazil, Sao Paulo, is the largest helicopter air taxi community in the world. They have about 1,200 daily flights a day. However, they can only operate about three or four operations per corridor within the metropolitan area because it's very constrained and restricted. So that, again, is a huge opportunity for VTOL expansion in the future, but that also shows the challenges that there are going to be in terms of the infrastructure component. But when I talk about communities, there's communities in, in developing parts of the world uh, that are just underserved, that there's no way of connecting. And as a result, those people are not traveling. Most of the developing parts of the world, Africa, parts of Middle East, Latin America, the only way to move safely, efficiently from one point to another is through air transportation. They don't have good rail systems. They don't have good road systems. Maritime, in some cases, are in existence. And the geography just does not help. And again, by having this type of technology, these type of vehicles become available in the future, that's going to be a game changer. So you're going to be able to serve more community, more people are going to travel. The, the great thing about our forecasting over the next 25 years is that air travel is going to more than double in the next uh, several years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's good. And if we're able to bring these vehicles into play, uh, that growth is even going to be even bigger. Uh, not, and not only from a uh, passenger standpoint, but also from a cargo standpoint. Uh, moving vaccines, medical equipment, foods, and, and, and goods that are urgently needed in communities that today, again, don't have accessibility to it. So it's not only going to be the, the, the passenger component, but also the cargo component that's going to be a game changer, saving lives, bringing more nutrition, uh, 
goods and services to to people that just don't have that accessibility. So for FedEx or UPS or any of these cargo companies, that's certainly in, in their minds. How can I expand uh, the movement of uh, goods and services? Before we started recording, we, we talked a little bit about the Toronto drone cargo uh, mm-hmm. use case. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so Toronto has been a very cutting edge airport and, and they're beginning to use drones for movement uh, uh, for utilization of, of their operations in, in the airport. So it's something, again, where we're seeing drones are becoming part of the day-to-day operations and, and utilization of, uh, of, the, of, of managing an uh, in, in, in airport. So, uh, again, those who think that uh, you know, drones is something of the future or VTOLs, it, it certainly is not. It is here. We're beginning to see it. Uh, there are more tests and the tests are becoming now part of that day-to-day operations. Your comments about the applicability of advanced mobility in different parts of the world is really interesting. And what you're saying is it's the ge- geographic limitations is what's causing the opportunity for people to be able to fly who never you know, accessed the vertical space in the past. And we've heard that some of the applications, I think, with, the, with Azul have talked about the same down in Sao Paulo. You've talked about how, let's say, in North America, advanced air mobility may play a greater role. You've talked about underserved cities. How would passengers in some of the larger metropolitan areas value the advanced air mobility vehicles? Well, I think one is, is time. They won't have to spend significant amounts of time in rush hour traffic, which in most of our communities around the world is becoming a serious issue. Second, options to move around that way uh, in the sense that if you look at New York today and you, you want to get from the airport quickly from JFK to, to the city, if you get on a helicopter, it's about $195. This type of technology, the VTOLs, is going to change that. All the forecasting shows once this becomes mature, you'll be able to go from JFK to somewhere in Manhattan for about $50 per passenger. And that becomes a lot more uh, financially viable for passengers to say, you know what, I'm going to do that instead of being in traffic for two and a half hours. And this will be the same in New York, or Tokyo, or, or where you have airports that are, are significantly outside the range of the cities. And, and that's what is also a reality. Many of the new airports, the few that are being constructed, are being built significantly outside the city perimeter of many of these metropolitan uh, areas. So distance becomes an issue of convenience for many of these travelers. So that is a game changer as it is. The same thing uh, in terms of serving major hub airports. You know, I'm here in Miami and um, you, know, you may have someone that lives in Delray Beach or in, in um, Jupiter. And if they get in their car, it's going to be a three-hour drive down to, to Miami to get onto their flight to leave to South America, to Europe, or to Asia. Whereas with these vehicles, you know, in a matter of 25 to 30 minutes, they're at the airport. So you're going to be able to touch more people in distances which are you know, anywhere between 90 and, and 200 miles, which will be very viable for these folks to get on these vehicles and come to the airport and then move on to their further destinations. Also, it's also going to give you an opportunity to avoid the HUDs. It's going to give you the opportunity where you may go from Jupiter to maybe Tampa, which is not served today. And that has commercial implications and opportunities for the airline community looking, again, to connect points that are currently not being served uh, because putting an A320 or even a regional jet is just too big and too costly based on what the demands of that market may be. 
Peter, let's say uh, an airline CEO, Europe, US, is speaking to an investor conference. And they're talking about their growth strategies, and then they start talking about advanced air mobility. Is it a legitimate concern for an investor that this could be a distraction? I don't think so. I think, you know, you've seen some of the, and the announcements that have taken place in the um, last several months. You've seen some very big airlines making big commitments and financial commitments in the future to support this type of technology. Uh, sustainability, environment is a very important topic mm-hmm. today. Of course, from a, a business standpoint, but from a social standpoint, socially today, if companies are not being socially responsible and implementing the measures to meet the targets, you know, society is looking at them, you know, with many, many questions. And and, and again, the manufacturers in our industry, the Boeing, the Airbus, the, the engine folks have done a fantastic job in building some fantastic airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they're much more fuel efficient emit less CO2. However, they're still a contributor, small, but still a contributor. And from society standpoint, they still see the industry as a problem. With VTOLs, that is a quick solution, a very viable solution. Uh, and it's not far away. And, and I think this is the moment, again, to think outside the box, to innovate, to invest, and to commit. Because it is all about today, preparing for tomorrow. Tomorrow will come very quickly, and we talk about these deadlines of 23, 24. I mean, it's just a few years uh, from now. And again, my call or my shout-out is to government and to the industry. We need to start looking very seriously at the regulatory side, at the infrastructure side, at the training side, because it's going to hit us very, very quickly. And, And that is the worst thing we want to happen is that we're not ready. And 5G should be a very good example of what happens when you leave something to the very end and what the implications can be and how society then judges our industry based on how quickly or how effectively we reacted. How do you think that this 5G discussion will end? Well, certainly we, we will reach common agreement. We will reach agreement on Safety, that's the pinnacle uh, objective here. It's the main objective. The only objective is is ensuring that the interference will not impact the safety of flight. And we'll have to find areas of agreement in terms of perimeter, where you put the antennas. Uh, But again, this is something we should have done many years ago. And you look at other parts of the world that have already implemented 5Gs. It was done successfully. It was done coordinated. And you would never expect this to have taken place here in the U.S. between two government agencies not being able to sit down and agree. Unfortunately, the industry is the one being affected. And we could have been very negatively affected if government wouldn't have um, put a reprieve on the formal implementation on on how the uh, antennas were going to be uh, put into into work. So still work. I do. I am confident uh, that. Sometime this year, we will reach common agreement on helping, uh, ensuring that the communications, the, the mobile communication industry can continue to expand and provide the level of service that their customers are expecting. And at the same time, aviation can continue to provide that safe and reliable air transport to this, you know, similar or the same customers that get on airplanes and want to go from one place to another in a safe manner. And that's what we have to do with drones and VTOLs, make sure that when we do implement and they do come online, 
that they are kept to the same standard, same levels of safety as the commercial uh, aviation sector is, because um, that is going to be the success of the VTOL industry is maintaining uh, safe flight, reliable flight, where passengers will travel with confidence. Ten years from now, there's VTOL and electric airplanes that are quite common in all parts of the world. Who is more likely to operate these vehicles? Is it the majors? Is it the regionals? Or the entirely new organizations? Yeah, I, I think that would be a combination, actually. You're going to see the, the big companies, United, JAL, Lufthansa, they've all made commitments. So they're going to certainly be there. Some of these, this flying may be delegated down to the regionals uh, to do. Uh, and those regionals will be able to retire some of their older aircraft. But in other parts of the world, it may be outsourced to other companies to, to be done on behalf of those carriers. You may have third parties that may be doing the same flight for three or four airlines. I think those would be more commercial decisions that will be undertaken by each airline. But certainly, it's an opportunity of thinking outside the box. It's an opportunity of being dynamic and, and listening to what customers need and want. So I, I would say all three, depending where you're based, where the airline is, what part of the region, what the expectations are. You, know, you, you may even have... Aviation is, is part of the component of the travel and tourism sector. And, and who knows, you may have the hotel business, uh, the hoteliers mm -hmm. uh, partnering with airlines. And they may be providing the service for the airlines and moving passengers you know, from a, a resort on, on the beach somewhere in Costa Rica or from mm -hmm. uh, you know, somewhere in Africa in a safari lodge. So I think commercially, there's a huge amount of opportunity of partnership, of integration of commercial uh, services that for the passenger, you're, you're putting everything into one allotment instead of the passenger having to buy different components of his trip. So I, I think we're going to be very dynamic as an industry. Since we're looking into the crystal ball, uh, if you fast forward five years and, and then 10 years, what does the industry look like? Certainly growing. Certainly many challenges in the sense that infrastructure will be a major issue. We will have to meet the government mandate on the environment. We will have to be responsible and we will be held accountable by society to do so. With regards to the, the vetoes, I think it, it's going to be in the, I would say within the next five years, I think we're going to have uh, flights that will take place, probably more trials verification, proof of concept type. I think initially it will be to a very small audience of passengers, a very selective group. I will call it a toy of the rich. But I think uh, as airlines try to validate the concept and, and the consumer acceptance, they'll invite their elite passengers to try the product first. And within the next 10 years, it will be made available to all who is willing to pay, let's say, a premium at, at a point. And slowly, we'll begin to uh, put into, into the system those underserved communities or communities that don't have the amount of passengers to put an airplane every day. Uh, these type of uh, vehicles will be in there. So I think initially, many there will be trials to verify. But after those, that, those five years, it will move very, very quickly across the board. What advice, given that our podcast is intended for the, for the entrepreneur, 
What advice would you give to a someone who wants to start a business in advanced air mobility, especially given your your deep understanding of why people fly and, and why people travel? Well, I think it's twofold. Uh, well, partnership is going to be very important, and we speak quite a lot on partnership collaboration nowadays. I think that's critical because the, the st- there's so many stakeholders in play. Uh, one of the things I think investors should look at sh- shouldn't only look at the manufacturing side of it. Uh, you know, like I said, there's over 150 manufacturers, quite a lot of them. I would start looking at the supply chain. I would start looking at infrastructure is going to play a very important component. And, and again, I think we have to think outside the, outside the traditional box of you know what infrastructure really is and, and how is it going to play uh, a role. On the supplier side, uh, on the component side, I think there's going to be tremendous amounts of value there. But I think the, also the, the outreach, the education is going to play a very important role. For all of us, we need to engage our communities. We need to engage our local municipalities to play and understand uh, how these vehicles are going to bring better quality of life, better connectivity, remove some of the barriers that we experience as a, as a society today. And they will play a big role from an acceptance standpoint, reassuring them that this is safe and viable means of transportation working with governments to ensure that we are able to put the right infrastructure in the right locations, that it is not heavily taxed. And I think that's a very important part of it. Unfortunately, our industry has always been seen as an easy cash cow uh, in the industry of the rich. Government needs to understand that air transportation is like any mode of transportation. I would say it is probably the most important form of transportation that we have on a global scale. It is what gives us the free movement of people, goods. It liberates us from constraints of geography, distance, time. Trains and buses have certain amount of roads. They cannot cross the water. Boats cannot go on land. Air transport is the only one that can cross rivers and oceans and mountains. And that's why it is so important to educate uh, our, our government's on the importance, the value of air transport, uh, on the value it brings. And that's what will help us move um, VTOL along in a much quicker manner, because it is going to be education. People will have to understand what the value is, and not only in the United States or in Europe, but in other uh, regions, other countries, that their air transportation or their transportation sector is not as developed or has evolved to the level mm-hmm. as some of these other countries have. What's the one point that you would want our audience to take away from your comments? This is really cool stuff. This is a game changer. It's, it's a game changer, uh, not only for aviation, for the airline business, but for communities, for the way we live life, for connectivity, for our responsibility to the earth we live on. It checks a lot of the boxes. It checks a lot of the constraints that we are living through today. It will help also reduce the carbon footprint because you'll have less people going in vehicles, ground movement. It it will bring travel time down. And again, I I don't want to focus only on the movement of people, but the movement of cargo is critical. Medicines, uh, equipment that are essential to the well-being of society. And when you're in New York City, you don't have that constraint. But when you're in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon or you're in, in an island somewhere off in the Pacific, 
it becomes very, very important. So it, it's all about improving the quality of life. And certainly the VTOLs will, will bring that. It will give more opportunities to travel, bring more connectivity, be socially responsible, and also add more competitive pricing schemes. Peter, you're one of our great industry leaders. We really appreciate your being on the show. Is there anything that we haven't asked that you were dying to tell us about? I think you've drilled me pretty well here. So I'm going to stay on that and just walk away very quietly. And thank you so much for the opportunity. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks okay. a lot, Peter. Thank you for listening you, to the Vertical Space Podcast. Reach out if there are topics that you would like us to discuss. And goodbye until the next episode. Unless mentioned, this podcast is in no way endorsing or promoting any person and or company mentioned, and all opinions within the podcast are solely that of the presenters. The Vertical Space makes no guarantees, warranty, or representation of any information given in this podcast. Any information given is for informational purposes and should be used at your own risk. This podcast is for general, educational, and entertainment purposes only.